0: Hello, this is episode 16 of the Performance Cycling Podcast. I'm Jason, and I'm here with
1: Todd. Hey, everybody. Uh, I think I'm just going to jump right in. Today, we're going to talk about sleep, but I'm going to preface this with a related hot take of mine, which is, very simply put, I think sleep is the most cost-effective piece of your training and performance program that you're paying the least attention to. Okay. And I'm, I'm going to prove this to you. through through the course of the episode here.
0: Well, my initial reaction to that is it's cost-effective because it doesn't cost any money to sleep, right?
1: That's that's true, and I think the things that you would be doing to improve your sleep or modify your sleep basically cost nothing or or very little, or there's even one in here which I may argue in some parts of the country may save you money in the long run.
0: Hmm. Okay, so we're going to talk about sleep. You think that it's the most cost-effective. It's also... Um, you said very important specifically or,
1: I, you know, from a, so, well, I think from it's also a, a bang for your buck, right? Like you, you get a big benefit from making sure you have adequate sleep. Okay. Um, I think a lot of us don't hit that target. And obviously like, so the cost effective part, heck, doesn't cost you a whole lot to make some modifications to your sleep. Um,
0: all right. Well, you've already brought up a few things that we can start discussing. What does adequate mean?
1: So the recommendations are seven to nine hours per night. Um, for, for most people there, there are a few rare people in the world, um, that have a certain genetic mutation that can actually are called short sleepers that can actually function perfectly well with less than six hours per sleep. And is that like
0: 1%, 5%? It's under
1: 5%. Okay. So, you know, if you think you're one, you're probably not. (laughs) Um, and so there's actually an interesting piece about that is that as we get into sleep deprivation, our sleep drive actually diminishes a little bit. So we get into this equilibrium state where even though we're deprived of sleep, it's a little bit harder for us to recognize it. So like, oh, yeah, I'm a, you know, less than six hour sleeper per night. No problem. I just keep doing that. Uh, your body adapted to that. It doesn't and mean you're you're, just... you're, you're you're fooling yourself. You're not optimized for six hours of sleep. Your body's just not sending that signal as aggressively because it's adapted to. Your... So,
0: And you're working at like submaximal capacity. Right, you're,
1: in, in essence, yes. Things like your cognitive function and your reaction time are impaired but you're not picking up on you're not getting those signals Hmm. so the other thing
0: that um
1: came up was
0: um seven to nine hours for sedentary people is that correct or does that include athletes that includes
1: athletes athletes a lot of times athletes are going to be up on the the higher end but there is some individual variation there can be elite athletes that are have this genetic mutation do just fine on six Um, and then there's going to be folks that are be closer to that nine and certainly Younger folks, as we're developing, so you know, I my son's a year old. He probably hits closer to sixteen hours a day. There's a lot of neural development going on there, and you know that, that goes down over time as we age, and then you know, once we reach adulthood, we're sort of in the seven to nine hour range for most folks. Okay,
0: so no specific recommendations higher than that for athletes.
1: No, I mean I think there's a there is there is an interesting study that was actually done at Stanford. I was going to say this for later, but I'll just hop into it right now, um, where. They looked at the basketball team in particular, and they were looking at their performance, and the condition was, for six weeks, you all are going to sleep for 10 hours, which is basically, you are to be in bed for 10 hours every night. If you sleep, great. If you don't, just at least rest. And the feeling was, we're going to optimize their sleep, right? So they're not in sleep debt anymore. If they had accumulated sleep debt, they were not sleeping as much as they should have. Maybe they'll catch up, and they'll sort of reach their equilibrium by the end of this study period. And what they found with, the basketball players in particular was they had a almost ten percent increase in their free throw and three point accuracy, um, and not not ten percent relative, to them, still like actual 10, 10 percentage points on it. Right? So they went from thirty percent accurate to forty percent accurate with three point Whoa. shots. Whoa! <laughs> yeah, not like oh, I was shooting thirty now I'm shooting thirty three. This is yeah. right, This is pretty significant. Um, their sprint times were better, and they also reported being happier and more alert. So these are sure. these are pretty big changes.
0: Wow. Uh, that's, I mean, we scrape for, we, we all swear by caffeine, which is 3%. We all swear by, um, you know, all all these other things that give us a 1% boost in training. We're happy with a 5% boost over three months and to get, you know, a 33% increase in your free throw percentage just from sleeping enough. That's, uh, definitely indicates maybe that's something that I think a lot of athletes haven't tapped into. And personally, I also feel that sleep is probably one of those that has evaded me as a recovery technique. I'm specifically focusing on you know getting out of sleep debt and staying out of it.
1: Mm-hmm. And I think the other thing that's interesting, you know, you talk about cycling reaction time, especially when you're riding in a pack is important. And so if you're uh, go to five to six hours of sleep, your reaction time may double or triple. Okay. Over what you're supposed to get over your seven to nine hours. So it seems like trivia, like, Oh, I got this race early in the morning. I'm going to get up real early and drive a couple hours to the event. Uh, You may want to rethink that. You're not going to be as sharp.
0: Yeah. And it's crazy how many pros will do, you know, Athens twilight. And then they'll on Sunday, they'll drive throughout the night to get to another race somewhere, you know, a few hours away. And Mm -hmm. um, then they try and perform at a high level. And it's like,
1: yeah, you're a professional athlete, but you got two hours of sleep last night. It doesn't. Yeah, it's not not helping you. Certainly, you're not yeah. performing at your best. Um, so that's yeah, those are some of the, the bad things that happen. But I think there, there's even more uh, as far as bad things that happen when you don't sleep adequately. Um, I am happy to go through those. I also sort of want to touch on like what what sleep structure is and what, what that all all means um, for what we're what we're doing. So let me do this. Let me just lay out quickly what sleep structure is. What What is it that's happening when we're sleeping? And then we'll talk about the some of the bad things that happen when we don't get enough sleep. And then we'll go to, well, so what can we do about it? What are the, the recommendations? And what, what are sort of the best practices to make sure that I I allow myself to... The way I think about it is, is sleep efficiently. Um, in the sense of if I'm going to set aside, say, eight or nine hours to sleep every night... Well, in my head, it's the pillow. I want to be falling asleep as close to that time as possible and waking up as as close to the end time as possible. Sure. Um, This is
0: generic too. You know, we want to get the most out of our food. We want to get the most out of our training, all this stuff. So sleep is no exception.
1: Right. And you don't want to have to be in bed for 12 hours to get eight hours of sleep. Right. So, um, so, okay. So sleep structure, there's four stages of sleep. Um, basically they're stages one, two, three, and REM sleep. Uh, so stage one is very light sleep. And this is like where you're just falling asleep. You know, if if some a loud noise occurs, if somebody shakes you, you'd probably wake up pretty quickly. Um, it's this, this just a transitional phase. It's a very small portion of the night's sleep. Uh, stage two is the sort of like this l- semi light sleep. But then you're, you know, that's that's a big chunk of the night's sleep. And the thought is there is that there's maybe some memory consolidation that's happening but it's more like factual memory. So if you're a student and you you just had a lecture during the day, this is probably where you're learning that you're consolidating those memories. Or if you, you know, learn some new some new fact or some some new knowledge, this is probably where you're consolidating. Maybe
0: on a podcast. You might that's right. That. If you're
1: listening to the, our podcast and, you know, trying to apply your, these principles to your sleep, this is where you're encoding these memories. Okay? Stage three, the deep sleep, uh, the belief is that there's a couple things happening here. So one is where we're releasing sort of the recovery hormones, our testosterone and our HGH get released in this phase. Um, also, this is uh, some of the memory processing that c- it continues from stage two. So some more of this factual learning information. REM sleep. So this is what we associate with dreams. REM, REM is abbreviation for rapid eye movement. So it's a it's a very unique phase where um, the the brain actually shuts down the motor commands going down spinal cord. So effectively we're paralyzed, but then the brain itself is very active. Um, so you, you can like live out like just be like people have vivid dreams like right like oh I was racing and I won the Tour de France type dream. I haven't had that dream, but you know, perhaps you do. Um, any of those vivid dreams—that's in that REM state, um, and so like, this is also where sleepwalking happens. If you have like a little dysfunction and things mm. aren't shut down, um, but so this is interesting because this is where we learn our motor skills, and so this is why like the motor cortex and everything is working, but we're we're not sending signals down. We're basically replaying these things that we practiced. So, if you went out and you practiced your cornering technique, your REM sleep is where your mind is consolidating that practice so that you actually learn it and you're better when you go corner the next day. So, that's that's where your skill occurs. Or, you know, for me, mountain biking, it's a different, you know, different skill sets. I worked on this technical section of trail. That's where I'm learning that. Or, you know, that obviously applies to other sports too, right? Your basketball, you worked on your shot. So, it's happening in that REM sleep. Um, so, what's interesting is that over the course of the night REM sleep extends a little bit. So it's going to be the shortest phase that first sort of cycle. So I guess I have to go back a step here. We cycle through our sleep. Like, you know, so we kind of go through the stages and there, the first time it's like from one down to, to REM sleep and then it sort of reverses and has these waves. It's like a little bit of a sine wave as we work through our sleep cycles, but that REM cycle is actually longest towards the last cycles. So closer to when you're waking up in the morning is when those REM cycles get to be the longest. So if you're shortening your sleep, then you're also crimping your ability to master any sport specific skills or any motor skills that you would have learned from the previous day.
0: So a few things here in my head, the a, a sleep cycle is normally about an hour and a half. Is correct. that correct? That's right. And uh, what's the breakdown between the different uh, zones?
1: So stage two is about 50%. Okay, and REM sleep, I've read, varies by person. Um, and actually, So it's on the order of 25%, okay, and then the rest is between stage 3 and stage 1. Okay. Um, and it, it, everybody's going to vary a little bit, and it also varies depending on how tired you are. If you're super sleep-deprived, you'll actually do a goofy thing where you start in, in REM initially. Like, so when they do the sleep deprivation studies, those people actually end up going like straight into REM. Whoa. Uh, so this is probably a good proxy for you. Like if you fall asleep and you like immediately start dreaming, probably a little sleep deprived. Yeah. Or uh, maybe more
0: than just a little.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um, so just a little, a little heads up. But Also, I'll, I'll touch on a way that you might be able to get some insight into, am I a little sleep deprived uh, a little bit later? It's a little, like a little simple self-test that you might be able to do. So the other
0: topic that came up was the, um, uh, Reinforcing your um, motor control during Mm -hmm. REM. This is generally considered, it's done because you're um, sort of reinforcing the connections Mm -hmm. in your brain that, you know, so when you do a certain motor pattern, you're firing in your, you know, your neurons are firing in a certain pattern. And when you do that over and over again, the strength of those neurons increases and the path becomes more efficient. Is that correct? That's right. So the, how important is REM sleep to the reinforcement and strengthening of that pathway?
1: So, I mean, that's that's a huge part of it. So part of it is actually doing the task, right? And, and getting that repetition there. But then the second part is doing this consolidation and it's like the, the maintenance workers are going in and, and actually like, you know, making the repair and strengthening that pathway for you. Um, yeah. So yeah, that's a huge, that's a huge piece. So
0: it's a little bit like, um, you know, weightlifting, you, you break down the muscles through the act of exercising and then you don't get any any positive response until they're, they're built back up. And so is, is that a parallel to sort of, you're almost breaking down the system while you're using it and then you repair it to make it stronger?
1: I don't know that it's a, a repair function per se. I mean, you're certainly using neurotransmitters as you go through it. I think this is more of a, a strengthening because what happens with the... neurons is as there and there's you know billions of neurons at play here and you know so they're they're, anytime you go to make a movement you know thousands upon thousands of neurons are activated and they're you know interconnected so to make a specific movement specific neurons have to come on in some sequence to make that movement happen in a coordinated way Uh, so the way i think about this is your your brain has to make it such that when that signal is sent You know it gets from neuron a to neuron b in this amount of time and it gets to neuron c a little bit slower and a little bit faster to neuron d and so on and so forth and so to get somewhere faster the body's response is it insulates that neuron a little bit better just like insulating an electrical wire so that there's less loss of the signal if it doesn't want to get there as fast it may you know it's not going to be as well insulated and so it's this pattern of like making sure what the right balance is, so that when you hit that activation, all of the, all the right signals get sent and arrive at the recipient at the right time, and so yeah, so I think it's the not really breaking down per se, but actually just rein reinforcing the need, and right? Like okay, yeah, this one needs to move faster. We're gonna go take this time to put more insulation there, and go yeah. So I think it's a I think it's a good parallel though in the fact that you have to do the weightlifting to create the stimulus so you have to do the practice to create the stimulus and then you have to do some recovery thing to sort of experience the benefit okay is that a fair a fair, yeah. a fair summary and
0: i guess i well so i didn't know that rem uh was in, encouraged motor pattern um strengthening so that's really interesting
1: uh so i guess a couple couple little things we'll talk about the bad things that happen if you don't get enough sleep here. Uh, So I mentioned in this deep sleep stage three, this is when testosterone and HGH are released. Uh, So there was a small study done on healthy young men and actually show if they reduced their sleep for, I believe it was a week, that there was a 10 to 15% reduction in testosterone. So just one week of reducing sleep leads to 10 to 15% reduction in testosterone levels. So, okay, this is pretty, pretty significant change of having a week of sleep deprivation. Um, I'd already mentioned that you sort of lose your, um, your sleep drive a little bit. You lose that perception of sleepiness if you have chronic sleep deprivation. So other things that happen, uh, you end up being more sensitive to pain if you're sleep deprived. Mm. You end up uh, being more likely to be injured when you're sleep deprived. I think this has to do with the reaction time. If your reaction time is slower, then you know, you're know you probably not as coordinated, so on and so forth.
0: Yeah, and I'm, I assume with this reaction time, it's not just, you know, if, if you step and your ankle twists a little bit, sometimes you can recover it. It's not a conscious recovery, so it's also this subconscious reaction time sure, as well.
1: Sure, sure. Um, and then your, um, your immune system. We talked about immune system extensively a couple episodes ago, but yeah, not, not sleeping wreaks havoc on your immune system. So now you're more, you're more likely to get ill. Um, other interesting things that I, that I found in some of the research is when you're sleep deprived, your cravings for junk food increase about 45%. Uh, so obviously that's not good for your, uh, your cycling performance if you're more prone to eat things that aren't healthy for you. Um, so it, what happens is the reduction in sleep causes the hormones that stimulate your appetite to be released. And then... The worst part is that it reduces the hormones that make us satisfied with our food that tell us that we're full and start to signal that. So one, we want to eat more junk food. We want to eat worse food. And I think probably that's like just because it gives us fast energy, right? Yeah. Your, body's right. Just your, your body feels tired. So it's like, oh, I need fast energy. So you want to eat junk food. But then we also don't feel full. We don't get that signal to feel full when mm-hmm. we're done. So this is like a, a disaster for our metabolism and our eating. Um, two, so one of the functions of sleep is actually, uh, like I said, I kind of I alluded to this maintenance function, but we do build up toxins uh, in the brain throughout the day from all the mental work and all the coordinating of our life that the brain's doing. Um, so you get more junk stuck in the brain. You don't have time to wash it out. Like the sleep time is actually when the brain is doing a little bit of cleaning and some of the research is suggestive that you may be more likely um, to develop dementia or Alzheimer's if you're not sleeping adequately.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. Now, we talked about this with sauna as well, how um, there's speculation that the heat shock proteins are related to, um, you know, preventing the neurons from breaking down and keeping the pathways clean and this seems to align with this idea that the increased level of toxins also can be detrimental. So, uh, yeah, if you have long-term concerns or a family history or something like that, this could be especially interesting to get your sleep, all the sleep you need.
1: And there, there, there is some evidence also that you know reduction in sleep may be linked to uh, increased risk of cardiovascular disease. So you know, obviously, we're on one end of the spectrum thinking about the performance of our heart, and this is kind of on the other end, but. You, know, you can imagine if on one end, you know, and it would lead to an increased risk for cardiovascular disease. Those same processes probably are not good for optimizing your heart muscle to perform and pump a ton of blood and move, you know, move oxygen to your muscles so you can ride really fast.
0: Yeah, there's not a lot of uh, professional <laughs> athletes with heart disease.
1: That's right. Well, there's a whole different a whole different issue, right, with some athletes of going going the other way. Yeah, right? they get some arrhythmias and some uh, like. Uh so HCM, uh, hypertrophic cardiomyopathy.
0: I don't even know what that is.
1: It's like the the cha- the chamber uh left ventricle becomes oversized oh, right. and then it can pinch some of the vessels. And well,
0: Phil Guiman said if he stopped exercising he would die, basically is, was his summary of his diagnosis of it.
1: Yeah. And so there there are some issues there. Um those are fortunately fairly rare. Um, and then the other, the other thing I read uh, and seen multiple places, which is like, so you can have an hour of sleep or you can get up earlier and go to the gym. You should probably just sleep given, really? the, given the option between the two, you know, I think this makes some assumptions. I think that the advice there is like, assuming you're a typical person who's probably already not sleeping enough, hmm. you're probably better off to sleep than to go to the gym that day.
0: Yeah, I wonder even if for like general health, junk food, um, you know, it, it, just as much about the calories you burned in the gym, mm-hmm. uh, if you decrease the consumption by that same amount, you've done the same work in terms of your total body mass, which is a big indicator of overall health. And, yeah. You know, that could be maybe the reasoning.
1: Sure, sure. Um, so I'm going to throw in a random fact here, a random trivia fact, and then we'll talk about what you can do to hopefully optimize your sleep. So siesta, which I always thought was a Spanish thing. Uh turns out that actually originated from the Romans. They were big fans of a, of a siesta. Okay. Um, getting that little, right. And we do have a natural sort of lull in our circadian rhythm. So that kind of after lunchtime, I, I know we all feel it. Sometimes we go for the coffee or something. It's like 1.30-ish for some people. Like, oh, I'm getting a little tired. Uh, yeah, it's a nice time to have a, a nap. Be honest, like I, I survived college by doing that because uh, I'm I'm a morning person by nature, and my roommates for a couple of years were not morning people by nature. So like, well, I kind of got to stay up a little later, and so I just I made it work by in that lull, like oh, I'm having a nap for mm-hmm. you know thirty forty five minutes or something just to kind of stay stay even as far as my sleep needs go. Um, so if you can you know get a nap in, that does that does work.
0: So I I was told that. Um, it's really common to do like a six hour night sleep and then an hour and a half Mm -hmm. middle of the day. And that can be a really successful sleep schedule for some people, Mm -hmm. just the way that it it is called the college sleep schedule, uh, whatever website that I found this on, as opposed to the conventional, um, just one portion. Are there other sleep cycles that uh, have you, have you done any research on um, patterns?
1: So I've seen, there's a crazy one out there. I don't remember what exactly it is but there's like one where you do like even like super short uh sleep cycles um I, I, tim ferris is who i read it from okay um it's like well, that's a little extreme but his point was you you probably don't do it for long like this is a good thing to it works in theory and say you're a new parent and your baby's up mm-hmm. here and there that you could you could maybe do that to be more alert at the times that you need to but still like sleep shorter shorter sleep.
0: Yeah. I think, was the protocol something like sleep one hour every six or something?
1: Some, something along those lines. And,
0: yeah. I mean, the only other application would be if, you know, you're working for a startup and, you know, every second counts because you you have competition hot on your heels and you just need to work for 20 hours a day. Sure. I think that, um, another option, like another limiter with, with weird sleep cycles is sort of family and friends. Mm-hmm. And when, When you're hanging out with someone and you're like, well, we got to wrap up because I got to get my hour of sleep. Right. You know, they're kind of scratching their head a bit.
1: Yeah. So interestingly, there's uh, some suggestion. There's a very good evolutionary reason that some people are morning people and some people are more night owls. Uh, Because if you're a hunter gatherer and you don't have four walls around you to protect you from, you know, things that want to eat you at night it's good to have somebody that's going to be awake late to keep watch. And it's also good when that person gets tired to have somebody who's ready to get up and keep watch before the sun comes up in the morning.
0: And so is it just random genetics to allow, uh, you know, every tribe to have, um, you know, early people and night owls?
1: Uh, I don't know if it's necessarily random, right? But I do, there is some, some variation in the genetics, intentional variation. Yeah. Yeah. That allow for night owls versus morning Mm -hmm. people. Um, so yeah, that it was a very interesting thing for me to read because I'm such a I'm, I'm such a morning person. Like I, I appreciate night owls. Good, good for you. I'm going to be in bed. Um, <laughs> but it's like, oh yeah, yeah that, that that makes perfect sense. This is not just a lifestyle choice. You're like, oh, I like to stay up late. No, this is uh, an actual good evolutionary reason mm-hmm. for us to have differences in, in opinion when it comes to sleep.
0: I'll say on this topic, uh, I'm a computer scientist, so uh, you know we like to be up really late and you know, the only light is the computer scene screen sort of thing. And that's because people um, don't bother you at 1am. So,
1: yeah. Yeah. So interestingly, my roommate in graduate school, was a morning person. Like I thought I was a morning person. Like, oh yeah, I get up around, you know, five, five 30 most days. I'm, I'm a morning person. And he, he took it to the extreme and he's like, he'd get up at, you know, three thirty or four sometimes. And I'd ask him, like, why do you do that? And he said, well, look, In college, if I wanted to study, I knew everybody was going to be up late. So I couldn't really study and have quiet unless I went to the library, but then the library closed and I couldn't always find a place. And so I knew that if I got up around 4 or 4.30, that everything would have to bother me. So I could just sit down and turn on the light and just crank out whatever studying that I needed to do. Um, And that was reliable. I could do it every day. like, all right, that's a a good adaptation. And as a roommate, that's awesome because when you get up at five. The coffee's already made for you yeah <laughs> uh, but okay so let's talk about what you can do to try to improve upon your sleep um, so I think first first things first is you have to you have to allow enough time in your day to make sure that you get adequate sleep um, so I said seven to nine hours know that you're probably not 100 percent efficient with this your sleep right like when you put your head on the pillow you are not falling asleep that second and you're not gonna sleep hundred percent all the way through the night. Uh, until your alarm goes off in the morning. So, you know, if you budget nine hours, you will probably sleep for eight or so, right? That's that's probably reasonable. Um, part of this is also setting yourself a good sleep schedule. To the best of your ability, you want to go to bed and get up at the same time every day, including weekends. I don't sleep in. Like, it's okay if you need to get lunch sleep, fine, sleep in. But you should try to set yourself a regular schedule I think about sleep as basically a, another skill that I'm practicing and I'm just training my body to do this routine. Okay. It's time for bed. I do whatever my bedtime routine is, brush my teeth, so on and so forth. Boom. I hit, you know, I hit, I hit the hay and I'm gonna fall asleep. All right. And then I wake up in the morning and that's, that's that time. And just repeat, 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 uh, and get your, get your body used to it because it will get into a, a pattern. It will get into a habit. Um, your bedroom is for sleeping mostly. Uh, leave your bedroom for that. Like you don't don't bring your laptop in there and do your work in, on your bed. Don't have your phone in there if you can avoid it. Uh, like I, the way I look at this is like, so you've got your phone by your bed. What's your phone going to tell you when you should be sleeping? Hopefully nothing, right? Mm-hmm. And if it's going to tell you something, you're probably going to worry about that, and that's going to totally screw up your sleep, like. So Sorry. I was told um, that this is the same
0: as the having the routine, the behavioral routine, like the brushing your teeth is a cue that, you you know, you're going to go to bed soon. Mm-hmm. Putting on, you know, different clothes, you know, like washing your face and also the act of laying in bed. Mm-hmm. If, if you don't lay, like, you know, a lot of people like to come home from work and you know, I'll just lay down for a bit and like look at my phone, you know, waste a uh, half an hour. Or so that actually disrupts the cue of when I
1: lay in bed, I'm ready to sleep. That's right. Totally yes, I agree. So don't don't put other things like especially your devices like do it in a different room or whatever like but not yeah. Like, so
0: another well, you know Todd maybe you're a bit privileged to have more than one room, but I live in a closet and my computer is right next to my bed. So um, it's it's tough to say you know stay out of your bedroom. I think that it's more realistic to say you know stay out of your bed.
1: Sure, I can if that's your I can I can support that. Um, so avoid exercising just before you go to bed, if you can, right? Cause that, that gets you grabbed up. That gets all your adrenaline and all your endorphins going. That's not going to help you sleep. Um, the recommendation I saw was as much as five hours before you go to bed. Whoa. Uh, it's pretty long. Uh, but so, you know, within reason, right? And I just think about how it fits into your life and it, I think some people, if they're very efficient with the sleep, they can get that to work a little closer to their bedtime. Um so I think this is obvious. Avoid caffeine and stimulants later in the day. Um try not to eat too many heavy meals like right before bed, because it puts a biggest strain on your digestive system. Okay. And you know, also um avoiding excessive alcohol before you sleep. If if for nothing else to keep you from needing to get up to use the restroom in the middle of the night. Mm. Um the same goes with my next point. Like, Try to regulate your fluids. You you don't want your bladder to tell your brain that you need to wake up so you can go to the bathroom, right? You, you want to try to avoid that stimulus. Like, hey, you need to you need to go take a leak. Nope, my fluids are good. I'm hydrated, but not overhydrated. No diuretics to make me need to go pee. Yeah, so I sleep.
0: A combination of these is um, if you do a workout after work. You know, you're know, you already bumping up onto that five-hour, um, four-hour point before bed it, if you have short intervals. If you have something a bit longer, then you might end up being even closer to your bedtime. But also, you want to hydrate after mm-hmm. your workout, so that can be really tough to try and hydrate, but also not overhydrate to the point that you have to get up. And sometimes you have a delay on you know, the release, yep. so it, it can be a real um, teetering balance to try and get all these things right. But absolutely, if you can avoid waking up in the middle of the night for any reason. Um, hydration is probably, over-hydration is probably the, the biggest uh, reason why you would get up.
1: Oh, you mean, yeah, why you need to get up. Uh, you know, I think a quiet and dark environment, so making sure that there's no excessive light coming in, uh, having dark enough blinds to block the external light. Uh, you know, if depending if you live in an apartment, Maybe earplugs if your neighbor above you is a little noisy. Uh, those little things just to help make sure. Or eye masks work for some people. There's all these little adjustments that are like super cheap, right? Like how much earplugs cost—five bucks or something—to get a, a, a decent, like to get 20 decent earplugs. Um, again, something I did in college to get through college and sleep well, because I want to go to bed at a reasonable hour, not at 1 a.m. Um, so you know, those little things help to give you a nice, quiet sleep environment. I think it also adds to the routine that you were speaking of, right? Like, okay, yep, I brushed my teeth, I changed my clothes, I put my earplugs in. Mm -hmm. I did all these things that signaled, um, I'm ready, I'm ready to fall asleep now.
0: I had a lot of success with blackout curtains. I I still use them, but Mm -hmm. the big thing with that is if you are a night owl, the sun won't wake you up in the morning if you have blackout curtains, so it'll be sufficiently dark in your room through... You know if you're a midnight to nine or a one to ten or whatever your sleep schedule is you can usually get those last few hours um down pat if you have yeah. blackout curtains or a, an eye mask or something
1: and there's some cool cool devices out there in the world now that will like give you the right wavelength of light to wake you up on a cue if you're yeah if that you can connect
0: that. to your um your, your room phone lights your, yeah or, that's right
1: okay. um yes let's see you know, I think of, I already mentioned, like this one's is kind of older. I don't think anybody uses television in the room, probably have, like a tablet, may have television, but maybe like a tablet, like so, not watching a lot of TV in bed or trying to avoid that altogether. Um, and then this other piece is maybe a little bit more challenging, but like trying to avoid, you know, worrying, planning, excessive thinking right before you go to bed. Uh, the pointer I've heard for this is if you need to get a little notepad put it in your nightstand next to your bed and write those things down before you go to bed. So you don't have to like go to bed. Like, Oh, I got to remember this thing for work tomorrow. I got to remember this thing that I have to do in the morning, but I'm put, it on, put it on the pad and then it's, then you know, it's there, right? You go like, Oh, I don't have to worry about this. Um, and so you can put those little thoughts there. And so I, I mentioned one thing earlier. I said, Oh, there's, there's maybe a couple pointers that might actually save you money some places in the country. So it's a, it's a cool environment, a cool place to sleep. So we actually do sleep a little bit better when it's cooler. Um, this doesn't work for us so much here in California where it's, where it's warm, but in, in other places in the country where it gets a little cooler in the winter, uh, the recommended temperature for, for best sleep is around 65 degrees. So you maybe don't have to crank that heater quite as much in the winter as maybe you have in the past. Um, And so how, how does that fit in with like the use
0: of blankets or top covers? Do you just, um, cover to your comfort comfort level? Okay. Yeah. But the ambient temperature should
1: be around 65. Okay. And you know, I think at the end of the day you need to be comfortable, right? So one person may set 65 and they're going to be a little bit cold and they're going to be uncomfortable. They're not going to sleep well, but the next person at 65 may be warm. So 63 is better for them. And so there is some personal variation around that, but, 65 is a recommendation yeah and i
0: think this um the cooler temperature can also help with um, if you do work out at night or you have a bit of a metabolic load still that can really help dissipate heat because um, you can have like excess heat production if you're trying to digest food Mm -hmm. it can be a good way to get rid of that loses the environment absolutely Um, also you know being in a colder environment can help you increase um, your total heat production which in the winter if you want to lose weight, it's a bit of a passive way. You have to make sure you don't eat to match if you you want to lose weight. But um, a good passive way would be, you know, reducing the heat of your showers to make them maybe lukewarm or a little bit cold or um, also that on the topic of sleep, um, taking a cold shower can sometimes also dissipate that, Mm -hmm. um, that latent heat that you have from either your workout or the metabolic
1: load of the food. Cool. That's, those are those are the things I had on sleep. Okay.
0: The only th- other thing that I had was, um, I, I remember reading a study that said that um, people who woke up at like 8 a.m., they had their coffee at 8 a.m., they showed no sign of um, decreased sleep capacity versus, uh, you know, no caffeine intake. And people who consumed caffeine at noon had higher, um, or like, The two things that caffeine does is it makes it harder to fall asleep, Mm -hmm. but also uh, it can cause you to wake up uh, with less stimulus Mm -hmm. and then also make it harder to fall asleep once you wake up from the stimulus. So one thing that caffeine, you know, maybe, oh, it doesn't really affect me. I can fall asleep anyway. Mm -hmm. The thing that really it will affect you is you'll wake up at 7 and you'll just lay in bed and you won't be able to fall asleep. And, um, you know, if you do end up waking up halfway through your sleep cycle, Caffeine does a really good job of preventing you from just peeing and going back. So if, if you have trouble sort of settling back down after you, you know, you get up for some reason, you might want to look at your caffeine intake.
1: Oh, I lied. I have one more thing Okay. that I alluded to earlier, which is the cheap and easy way for you to maybe have some understanding or some insight into your overall sort of sleep debt or how, you know, how sleep deprived you are. Right. Um, the test is called a multiple sleep latency test. Uh, typically, it's done in a lab, and they hook you up to an EEG. Uh, you can actually do this at home, with a very crude setup. So, the whole principle is that if you're alert and your you know your sleep is topped off, if you lay down during the day in a quiet, dark room, you shouldn't fall asleep in less than 15 minutes or so. Um, and so, and well, it's called multiple because you would do this several times in a day. So you probably got to do it on the weekend. You have to do about three and the time you'd, you'd do like 10 a.m. Maybe, you know, and then a couple times in the afternoon, you try to avoid that little lull uh, after lunch. So it can uh, affect the results. Yeah. Cause that would, it's, you're going to tend to be more tired right there and you, you average the results. But what, so the, the home test, it's very simple is you lay in your bed, you grab a spoon or any utensil, any metal utensil, you put a plate off the side of the bed and you, Start your stopwatch, lay down, grab the spoon in your hand, and then just wait. And when you fall asleep, you'll drop the spoon and that'll hit the plate. Since it's light sleep, that'll wake you up. You mm-hmm. look at your stopwatch and then you have your time. You record that and then you average that over three to four trials. And so the idea is that, you know, 15 to 20 and you, you know, if you hit 20 minutes, then you're good. Like you don't need, you don't need to continue without falling asleep. 15 to 20 is like in the, the ideal range. 10 to 15 is considered to be like slightly sleep deprived, but like in a manageable state, like it's not crazy, but it's not ideal. Like you're probably not performing at your best, but you can, you can work with it. And then anything under 10 is like timeout. We need to get, you know, get you some sleep. We need to work this out. And it's under five. It's like probably shouldn't, you should probably call an Uber to take you home. Like like basically, you're in a state where you might as well be intoxicated uh, because your reaction times are so impaired at that point. Wow. So just just something like if like if you are feeling tired if you're, or you even feel like curious about this, is a, it's a little bit crude, but at least it would give you some insight into like, well, am I am I sleep deprived or like am I am I pretty good? Um, I also wonder. I was thinking something along the lines of um, just setting your timer
0: for fifteen minutes. Yeah, and I think that a lot of people will know if they get jostled by the alarm or yep. if, you know. absolutely. So that could be not, it wouldn't be quantitative, but it would give you the qualitative. Am I over or under 15 yep, minutes? Absolutely.
1: So Yeah. There's probably a couple of ways you could go about that and just have an understanding of like, yeah, yeah, I was, I was dozing off or you know, I'm, I'm good. I was just chilling.
0: So the, the only other thing that I had about sleep was related to the coolness. Mm-hmm. So um, once again, Tim Ferriss, I think he's a little bit obsessed with sleep uh, as well, but um, he, he mentioned the chili pad. He's had a lot of success of it's basically a mattress cooling device. There's mm-hmm. a few different kinds. Um, the Chili Pad specifically uses water, and so it'll have like a, a cooling mm-hmm. generator, or you could heat it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's uh, you know normally pitched as a way to uh, reduce your heating costs in your house or your cooling costs mm-hmm. by um, using convection cooling right at the location, yep. as opposed to changing the temperature of the room. But um, it can be also be good to get the individual to the right temperature mm-hmm. so you you know you get the pad you put it on the mattress you start it at night it, it hums a little bit and it can be a good way you, you would have to mess with what temperature is the best for you but it can be a good way to really um put you into that deeper sleep and keep you
1: there yeah yeah i guess that's constantly cooling you right so
0: yeah and it's a bit weird because the so i got one of these because i um you know we we do live in california where you know, I don't have any AC, so it was a good way to get localized cooling. And um, sometimes when it's not as hot, I'll have a top cover I'll have something, mm-hmm. some blanket on. And that also will help me sleep to have something heavy. Mm-hmm. I know some people respond well to that. So um, you can turn it on cool, even if it's not too hot out. And then you can um, put something heavy on. And if, if that's good for you, then um, that's a way to always,
1: you know, always have a blanket. Yep. And I could also, I think, same idea that we talked about develops a habit, develops a routine. Yeah. So cool, that's uh, sleep. Yeah, that's that's uh, hopefully you didn't fall asleep while you're listening to this. But uh, that, that one was too easy. But if you did you probably need to get more sleep and perhaps yeah. that will increase your performance down the road. There's uh the the study, the
0: increases in the basketball team's performance is incredibly impressive and it's crazy how cycling and the culture of cycling is eight AM starts in the middle of nowhere, mm-hmm. you know, four thirty AM wake ups. Um, and it's, well, it's just kind of weird that we're all doing four hour road races on four hours, four hours of sleep. sleep. <laughs> so I, w- I mean, I wonder, I guess another thing that came up is like, uh, do you know anything about like use of like melatonin or anything like that? Um, I had a teammate who swore by, um, getting some, having some sleep aids to help fall asleep at nine instead mm-hmm. of the typical 11 or 12.
1: Melatonin, I believe, has pretty good evidence. Uh, I haven't looked at it in a while. I Personally, I've used it a little bit uh, like traveling, uh, East Coast, West Coast, uh, to combat jet lag and had decent success with it. Um, but I don't... So usually when I go for a supplement, I usually do a pretty good literature review uh, okay. to try to understand if it's effective or worth, worth my time and energy and money. So I don't remember precisely what result convinced me that i should give it a try but i will say like whatever i read a few years ago when i did that research it was enough to convince me like okay this is worth giving it a shot and who knows placebo or not i felt like it was beneficial in like shifting my sleep schedule a little bit okay especially like if we travel travel the east coast from here um and like it's you know my body's telling me it's 7 a.m even though it's 10 and i have a conference that starts at 7 a.m next morning Mm -hmm. like yeah
0: Okay, cool. So uh, we'll leave this here. Like we always say, keep the rubber side down. Yeah,
1: and, thanks. Uh, thanks for listening. And if you enjoyed it, uh, leave us a review. Yeah, or share with friends or both. Absolutely. And-